for those of you that might not know, we're starting a brand new series tonight from the book of Proverbs. Now, originally I thought we, we were just going to start here in Proverbs and uh, go verse by verse through it or until we, until we want to take a break from it. Uh, but a lot of the folks that work in Awana, and we need to remember we got, you know, most of our people are all over there and, and when they heard about it immediately they started saying, you know, wait a minute, we want to, we, we want to be there for this study. We don't want to miss it. And uh, so since the Awana year ends here in just a few weeks and uh, I, I made the, the decision that we'll just wait until then, but meanwhile, uh, I thought it might be good to do something else. I remember several years ago uh, doing a study like we're going to be doing on the some of the topics, subjects in the Bible. I, if I remember right, I think I called it People of Proverbs, because when you go through Proverbs, you meet a lot of different individuals. You know, uh, there is the scorner, and on and on and on the list goes. And I'm, I'm not even certain right now of... Uh, you know, what all we're going to look at. But what we're going to do is to take several of the topics from the book of Proverbs and uh, rather than staying on one verse, in other words, if the subject has to do with pride, uh, we're going to basically look at all of the verses in Proverbs pertaining to pride, not throughout the whole Bible, uh, but everything in Proverbs. And so it's a topical study, and I uh, I hope it will be beneficial to you. But tonight what we want to do is just have an introduction to Proverbs. So this is going to be very simple, very down to earth, and shouldn't be very long. But, uh, you know, it's always better to sort of get an idea of where you're at and where you're going before you uh, jump in. And uh, sometimes having an outline and a foundation to build on helps you to understand the whole a lot better. It's like if you were going to start studying the Bible and you thought, well, I'll just start in the book of Genesis and work my way all of the way through the Bible. And all of a sudden you find yourself over, you know, in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you're looking at all of those long lines of genealogy and pretty soon you're all bogged down in that and nothing makes any sense to you. And uh, you're a lot better off if you get some idea of what the Bible is all about. That is divided up into two separate sections. And uh, to think about the, uh, the distinction in the books of the Bible. And so tonight, that's what we want to do is just uh, uh, look at an introduction. I'm, I'm just going to read, at least to start with, the first verse of Proverbs, where it says, "...the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel." You know, I, I think there's a little bit of philosopher in all of us. My mother was, uh, I don't know how to say this because I want to be respectful. Uh, <laughs> my mother, she, she, she was philosophical about everything. It didn't make no difference what happened or what was going on, you know. Uh, she'd start giving her philosophy on the subject, and then it's like, Mom, Mom, you know, I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to know all of that. I'm not interested in going there, but, uh, but, you know, that's just the way she was. And, uh, I look back on it now and realize that, 
uh, she tried to teach me a lot of good things. I, I just didn't listen. But there's a little bit of philosopher in everyone, and I think that's one reason why the book of Proverbs is admired and enjoyed by so many people. Uh, it's a common thing for us to crystallize our thoughts and our experiences, uh, you know, to just get rid of all of the verbiage. Uh, I can remember years ago uh, starting a radio broadcast. I had one that was 30 minutes long, but then it started a 15-minute broadcast, and I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to preach any kind of a message in 15 minutes? And you'd be surprised what all you can say in 15 minutes in fact, you'd be surprised if, if you thought I could ever get through in 15 minutes. But I did. And when you cut out all of the verbiage, it's really amazing what all you can say. But over the years, people from all walks of life have delighted in collecting Proverbs, and we've all heard some of them, you know, an apple today keeps the doctor away, a stitch in time saves nine, a penny saves is a penny earned, birds of a feather flock together. Bet you can think of some, can't you? Listen, give me some. That's right. Some more. Come on, you all know some. Early bird hits the worm. Yeah. Uh, do what? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and so, you know, we all tend to do that. But, unlike the parables that are coined by by man, the sayings of Proverbs were given by God. So you could say uh, these are rules for the redeemed. Rules for the redeemed. In other words, God's trying to teach us uh, how to live. And I don't know of any book of the Bible that is of more practical value uh, than the book of Proverbs. It's a book that ought to be read over and over and over again. Uh, Proverbs and Psalms are two of the most helpful books in the Bible. Uh, in Psalms, we see the believer's worship. But in Proverbs, we see the believer's walk. In Psalms, we see the believer's devotion. In Proverbs, we see the emphasis upon the believer's duty. An old preacher back in 1670 made this statement he said, I jotted this down in my Bible 40 years ago, I guess. He that would be wise, let him read the Proverbs. He that would be holy, let him read the Psalms. Now, I know that is an overstatement because Proverbs can indeed help us to live a more holy life. I realize that. But generally speaking, I understand what he is getting at because in Proverbs here, we see that the emphasis has to do with our walk and very practical things. Now, tonight we're going to consider the author of the book, the arrangement of the book, and the aim of the book. We'll talk about those three things briefly in just a minute. But first of all, we need to understand the meaning of the word Proverb. A proverb is a brief statement designed to impart truth in a way that is easy to understand. Proverb comes from a Hebrew word that means a comparison or resemblance. That's the meaning. Dr. Constable, in his notes on Proverbs, made this statement. He said, a proverb 
is, is usually a succulent statement that stands in place of a long explanation and expresses a truth about reality. Uh, that's a good way to put it. That's why I read the quote to you. B.H. Carroll, perhaps the most famous Baptist in, uh, ever from Texas, pastored the First Baptist Church in Waco and started the uh, Southwest Seminary and so forth. And B.H. Carroll said, The word rendered Proverbs means parable or authoritative saying and suggests that moral truths are taught by comparison or contrast. The English word proverb means a brief saying instead of many words. The power of a proverb lies partly in its form. It is short, sharp, concise, and impressive. It assumes truth, attracts attention, and imprints itself on the memory. Now, you, you know exactly what he means by that because, you know, you get one of the Proverbs there that is very meaningful to you and you just have a way of being able to, uh, to easily memorize it. And that's good. That's a, that's a, a part of learning. I, I've read a lot of definitions. If I had to just sum it up, I would say that a proverb is a short, simple, uh, illustration that exposes a fundamental reality in life. In, in other words, it's uh, an ocean of thought in a thimble of words. And so it is short, it's simple, it's a popular statement of a general truth. Now, if you don't remember anything else tonight, I want you to remember what I'm going to say next. When we talk about the Proverbs, we need to understand that Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. It is extremely important that you understand this because, because many have been confused by this. And when I say many, I'm talking about preachers. And, and a great deal of harm has been done by people presenting the Proverbs as though they were promises instead of probabilities. For example... Maybe the one that is the most misused has to do with children. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And I've heard preacher after preacher after preacher emphasize that as being a promise. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And so, in other words, you do it right, and they'll never depart from it. Really, really. Some of those same preachers have had their families to fall apart. Let me tell you, that is a probability. Most of the time, that's the way it will turn out. That is not a promise from God that it's always going to happen. I mean, you think about when God created Adam and Eve, and what you know He did His part perfect, right? And yet they fell. And so, when you do your very best, your chances for your children turning out right is going to be a lot better, but it's not a promise. Now, let me, let me illustrate this. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17 for just a minute. Chapter 17, verse number 25. And I want you to see here how that we're talking about what generally happens, not what always happens. Proverbs 17, 25. And by the way, we could spend a lot of time. This is just one particular verse 
that I want to point out, but there are many uh, related to different subjects. And so it says, where, where am I at? Chapter 17, verse number 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Now think about that. Because if you try to make a promise out of chapter 22 and verse 6, you've got to also make a promise out of this. And let me tell you, that's not the case. A foolish son is a grief of his father. Are you kidding me? That's not always the case. And, 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 and he says here concerning the, the mother and the bitterness of her that bear him. Let me tell you, some, some fathers, the proudest day of their life is whenever uh, their son finally got old enough that they could chug a lug of, you know, a beer with them. Uh, and, and I literally know instances where the father, when they thought the boy had reached manhood, took him to a house of ill repute and things like that. So, so you know, don't try to tell me that it always grieves the parents whenever their children do wrong. It doesn't. Now, most of the time, that's true. Uh, but we live in a day and age where... As, 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 as the Bible tells us very clearly in these last days, would be lovers of self rather than lovers of God and so on and so forth. And it, uh, you know, mentions the fact that we'll be without natural affection. We see that all the time. I mean, if you've ever even watched cops. I was watching an episode with the cops here a while back, and uh, the, the father and the son, they were in there smoking their, their dope together. Uh, so it's not always a grief to the mother. I watched another episode a few years ago, and the mother was actually selling her daughter out on the streets. She was the daughter's pimp out on the streets. So you see, you can't take that as a promise because the parents are not always grieved at the failure of the children and, and I'm telling you, sometimes when you do your dead level best to raise your children right, the chances are they're going to turn out right. But that's a probability. It's not an ironclad guarantee that it's always going to be that way. And uh, so we need to understand that because it puts some people on a guilt trip, on a needless guilt trip. I've known men that got out of the ministry as a result of that very thing. They just quit because they felt like such a failure. And I've heard preacher after preacher get up there, this is a promise from God. No, it's not a promise from God. It's a probability like all of the Proverbs are probabilities. Now, that being said, that being said, a proverb can be a promise. I'm not contradicting myself. I'm telling you, Proverbs are not promises. But a proverb can be a promise if if it is backed up with other promises of the Bible related to that subject matter. In other words, you're going to find other verses that declare the same thing. If we could look through the Bible and there were other sections where it was obvious that something is stated as a promise, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And, uh, you know, uh, and if the Lord had said, truly, truly, I say unto you, you know, do this and this will be the outcome, well, then you've got a promise. 
And in this case, the promise is incorporated into, into a proverb. So a proverb can be a promise, but it's not always a promise. It's a probability. So, now, let's consider the author and the arrangement and the aim or the purpose of the book. First of all, whenever we think about the author, obviously it's Solomon, the son of David. Uh, it, that's generally agreed upon by uh, by everybody, but whether or not all of the Proverbs are actually, whether they are all originated with him, you know, is a matter of debate, but it doesn't really make any difference because they were all given under divine guidance. And he collected some of these. I mean, we don't have to wonder about that because the Bible even tells us that it's so that these did not originate with him, not all of them at least. Uh, and so they were some sayings that he had collected, and the Spirit of God led him to incorporate those sayings into this book of the Bible. And so he, he simply arranged the Proverbs, the ones he didn't write, and incorporated them into this book. In 1 Kings 4, you don't have to turn there, but in verse 31 and 32, it tells us that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. Now, we have only a few of those. That's, we just got a few of them. But, let me say this, we have all that God intended for us to have. That's the main thing to keep in mind. He might have written, a, he, well, he did write a lot of other stuff, but God didn't use any of that. Now, you know, somebody might be thinking tonight, well, why in the world would God even use a man like Solomon? Because Solomon made some really bonehead decisions. Solomon failed miserably in a lot of ways. But by the way, if you knew everything about every writer of the Bible, you would soon discover that all of them failed in some way. The Bible says that God used holy men of old. He used them to record His Word. And uh, so, if Solomon is one of the writers, then God considered him a holy man. But that does not mean that he never made any mistakes. We know that he did. He confesses to that. It's obvious. God tells us about that. One of the great things about the Bible, and somebody has said, you know, one reason we know the Bible is the Word of God, because God tells the truth about everyone. When He paints a picture, He paints it warts and all. In other words, He gives us the whole picture. And God used different men to write different books of the Bible for several different reasons, but, but for one thing, because of their different experiences. And, and this is what we've got to remember whenever you're reading the writings of Paul, for example. God did not, in giving His record to man, God did not uh, destroy the personality of the writer. For example, whenever you're reading uh, Luke's writings... Uh, if you're really gifted in the Greek language, you can tell this man was a highly educated man. He was a physician. He was not an ordinary man like Peter. And uh, the experts tell us that that shows through in the use of the particular Greek words that he used. So God didn't destroy their personalities. And, and God gave it the words exactly as he wanted them to be. But God did so in the light of 
of their experiences and no doubt a lot of other things. And uh, so whenever you think about Solomon, uh, Solomon was a bit different than his father David, right? And it would be hard for us to imagine Solomon writing the 23rd Psalm. Now, if God could speak through Balaam's ass, which he did, God could certainly enable Solomon to write the words of the 23rd Psalm. But he didn't, he didn't use him to write the 23rd Psalm. Why? He didn't have that experience. His daddy's the king. He, he didn't have the experience that David did. David's writing out of his experience as a lonely shepherd boy out there on the hillside. And, he, you know, he knows something about sheep and knows something about the shepherd. And he likens that to man's relationship with God. And so God uses David to write certain parts of the Bible. And he uses Solomon to write other parts of the Bible. I said a few weeks ago, and I was talking about the fact that uh, Brother Kenneth was going to start a new series with the young people. And uh, so he was asking me if I had any suggestions what might really be good. And, I, and so I, I just said uh, something about, have you ever, have you ever taught uh, anything, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, for example? And he said, no. And, and so we had a conversation and I was explaining when you get right down to it, and I know one preacher made the statement that if he was starting out with somebody that had never studied the Bible, didn't know anything about the Bible, that he would start with the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know, when I first heard that, I thought, well, I don't know if that would be true or not. But then as I studied that book and, and spent a lot of time teaching that book, I began to realize you know, that wouldn't be a bad idea because the book of Ecclesiastes gets right back to the nitty-gritty uh, of what man's looking for in life and why he can't find it in this world. And, and so, you know, it, it deals with that kind of stuff. Well, Solomon was a man that was in that very position. Uh, he's not a lonely shepherd boy. He's the son of a king. And, and yet, in spite of the position he has and the uh, possessions that he enjoys and all of those things that he tried, he was of all men most miserable. He, he, he said he tried all of those things and he said, behold, it was vanity. In other words, it's a soap bubble. It's just a soap bubble. And, and then, he, then he turned around and said, I hated life. He hated life because he couldn't find any satisfaction. And so, and didn't until he turned to God. And, and so what I'm saying is whenever we come to the book of Proverbs, God is using Solomon to write these and to record these and to organize these because of the experiences that he's gone through. Now, he's the author. Let's consider the arrangement, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but, you know, a lot of people have the idea that, that this is changes subjects as often as the as the telephone book. And uh, that's not really true because it is divided up into different sections. And I guess just about every writer has his method of dividing the book up. But if we just listen to what the book itself says, and we'll go through it and we'll do that, 
but for the time being, I'm not going to read all of the verses, but if you just read what the Bible says of itself, here's what you'll discover. There are basically four sections, chapter 1 through chapter number 24. These are Proverbs that were written and arranged by Solomon himself. Chapter 25 through chapter number 29, these were written by Solomon, arranged by the men of Hezekiah. So although Solomon wrote them, the men of Hezekiah, later on under the tutorage of God, they arranged these together. Proverbs chapter number 30 was written by Agar, and then chapter 31 was written by Lemuel and his mother, uh, or, or in light of what his mother had said might be a better way to put it. And so there is some organization to the book. And uh, it's true that we might never really discover the reason why, because I will admit as we go along, with one verse will be on one subject, and the next verse, it's like, man, how did we go from that to this? I mean, we're on something entirely different. Uh, but, but let me tell you and assure you that God has arranged these sayings in the order that will be most profitable to us. And, and whether it's because God knows that we need variety or whatever it is, it's God, the one changing the subject matter, and that ought to be all right with us. And, and you know, if the sayings seem repetitious, and some of them will, because we're going to read one verse and, you know, a few weeks later we'll be reading another verse that says the same thing. And we're going to be saying to ourselves, well, we've already covered that. Why do we need to think about it again? Well, it, 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 it's because we need it again. How do you teach children? Repetition, right? If you're teaching them the ABCs or whatever it is, uh, little Emily has got a set of blocks and they're trying to teach her the colors and the ABCs and what have you. You'll hold one up and then A and she'll say A and this is green and that, that's the way you teach them. And by the way, that's how we learn. God knows that we are hard of hearing and prone to forget and that some things need to be repeated over and over and over and God knows that better than we do. And so this is the way the book is arranged, basically, in those four different sections. Now, that brings us down to the aim or the purpose of the book. And I want you to read with me the first six verses because, and we're not going to elaborate on this, but it gives us, uh, in a nutshell, what it's all about. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtility to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand the proverb and the interpretation thereof, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Now, that gives us, you know, some idea as to what this is uh, all about. You know, I I think it maybe we could just pause for a moment and say that Solomon was not writing this for the sake of enhancing his reputation. In other words, he wasn't trying to make a name for himself. Uh, 
That wasn't what it's all about. You'd be surprised how many books have been written. And the sole purpose behind that book is somebody trying to make a name for themselves in this world. But Solomon wasn't concerned about his reputation. He wasn't concerned about riches. I'm telling you what, it absolutely irks me whenever I see people uh, in the name of ministry uh, making it a means of getting rich. I, I, you know, I understand if somebody's going to write a book, and it costs money to publish that book, but whenever it's all said and done, if they're going to do that, it's my conviction the price ought to be set to the penny of what it costs to print the book. And, and, and it ought to end there instead of money being made off of it. I'm not buying anybody's sermon tapes. I'm not paying to get in to listen to any preacher or any singing group. I'll give an offering, yes, but I am not paying to do things like that. I, I, I just don't think we ought to make a business out of the, uh, out of the, out of the Lord's work. So Solomon's not doing this for any of those reasons. And, and, and I think just trying to, summarize it here that we could say two basic things about the aim. Number one, to enlarge our knowledge. And it's very clear. He's talking about giving instructions that we might learn and so forth. And so he is enlarging our knowledge. And we need that. Remember what the Lord said in Hosea, my people are destroyed for what? A lack of knowledge. Knowledge is so very important. I'm talking about knowledge that relates to the to spiritual things. Knowledge that relates to the things that God would have us to do. Uh, you know, down in the South years ago, it used to be that a, a lot of people took pride in not being educated. In fact, people did not even want to attend a church if the preacher had gone to college. They, a lot of a lot of them believe. A lot of them still believe to this day. All you've got to do, if God called you to preach, you don't need to study. You don't need to go to college. All you need to do is just get up there and open your mouth and let her fly, and the Lord will the Lord will give you the words to say. I've heard some of that preaching. I don't want to hear any more of it. Some have been some of the most nonsensical mess I ever heard in my life. Just disjointed, nothing related, and absolutely a mockery to the ministry of Christ. It's like one old fellow, supposed to be a true story, happened over in the southeast many years ago. And this college professor happened to be filling in at this church, and they were looking for a pastor. And so the preacher naturally had given his credentials to the uh, to the pulpit committee and so forth, and got up and preached that morning. And naturally, he pronounced all of his words correctly. Uh, he was precise in a very well arranged uh, uh, message from the Bible. And afterwards, and uh, the old fellow came up to him, said, "I'll have you to know, young man, the Lord ain't got no need of all of your book learning." And the preacher looked at him and said, "Nor has he any greater need of your ignorance." And, you know, that's the way it is. Look, we need to be knowledgeable. And the book of Proverbs helps us with that. So it enlarges our knowledge. Secondly, the second aim is to, it enables us to exercise wisdom. That's the theme of this book. Just in a nutshell, the theme of the book is wisdom as opposed to folly. 
And boy, do we ever need wisdom. In fact, the Bible tells us that we ought to search after it like we would search for silver and gold and precious stone and you know, I, I, I just got to wonder how many people are really doing that. How many people are really searching and longing for wisdom? And it's so important that we have it. You know, if whenever everybody come in, after everybody was seated, I said, you know, uh, there's a thousand dollar bill somewhere in this auditorium taped to the bottom of one of these seats. And whoever finds it first can have it. I just got an idea that some people wouldn't leave the building until after they had started looking under the chairs. You know, $1,000, who couldn't use that? But we ought to be more interested in finding wisdom than we are in, in, in finding the things of this world. So that's, that's the aim of it, to enlarge our knowledge, help us to exercise wisdom in what we do. And, and we're going to talk about that more later on when we define wisdom, exactly what is wisdom. We'll talk a lot about that. Meanwhile, let me just in these closing minutes give you some things to keep in mind. Four things, four things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, the teaching method employed in this book of Proverbs was used by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 34 speaks about that fact that He spoke to them in parables. And so the Lord uses the very method that we're studying about. And so that, that tells me, that tells me it is an effective message in reaching people. Secondly, Jesus is the incarnation of wisdom. And there's many, many verses that we could read. In fact, in Proverbs, we'll see later on that uh, that 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 wisdom is the personification of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you turn over to First Corinthians chapter number one, where it literally says of Christ that He is the wisdom of God, and so He not only used it as the teaching method, He's the very incarnation of wisdom. Number three. Wisdom was the thing that Solomon wished for above all else. First Kings chapter number three. How would you like for God to come to you and just ask you, what is it that you want? If I could, if I would grant one wish, what is it that you want? Well, we all know the story, right? Solomon asked for wisdom. He realized that's what he needed. He's going. To, he's the new king. He needs wisdom. He realizes that he cannot succeed without wisdom. And so that's what he asked for. The strange thing is that if you turn back one chapter to chapter number 2 in 1 Kings, and David is on his deathbed and he's talking to his son Solomon, and you know, sometimes daddies know more about the children than the children know about themselves. And on his deathbed, as he is encouraging his son Solomon, he made this statement. He said, For thou art a wise man. God enabled David to see what Solomon was going to become. And, and, and I've got to believe that when God spoke to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want me to give you? I just got to believe the words of his daddy was ringing in his head when his daddy said, Thou art a wise man. 
I don't want to get off track, but let me just interject this. It has nothing to do with this, really. Mom and Dad, let me tell you, the words you speak to your children are powerful. You might say something and, 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 and forget it tomorrow. And those little kids will never forget it the rest of their life. I remember when I was a boy, and I was as lazy as I could be as a boy. I didn't want to do my chores any more than any other kid. I hated to mow the yard. Remember, back then we didn't have a motor on that sucker. It was just a wheel and that motor blade, and it was a push mower. And you, I, I mean, it wasn't any fun mowing the yard. And whenever it was too high, you had to use a sickle first and then get that thing out and try to mow the yard. Well, on that particular day, I didn't get the yard mowed before Daddy got home. And I'll never forget, he you got the yard mowed? No, I didn't get it done. And I'll never forget, we're standing out in the backyard, and he looked at me and gritted his teeth and said, Probably some other choice words, but what he said that I've never forgot is, you're never going to amount to anything. And boy, it just, that, uh, my daddy in all my lifetime never said anything to me that hurt me as much as that. You're never going to amount to anything. And let me tell you, Daddy knew more about me than I knew about myself because he was absolutely right. And up until the day that I was saved, I lived out the words my Daddy spoke. I lived them out. I had care. I cared nothing about anybody but myself. You know, I, I did uh, horrible things. Until the day that I was saved. So what, what I'm saying is, be careful what you say to your children. And getting back to what David said, please understand that when you speak a word of encouragement, and later on as God is dealing with them, it might be that God will use that very word of encouragement to help them to decide some very important matter in their Christian life. Now, the last thing. This book is for all ages of life. Regardless of your age, regardless of your position, regardless of your experience, this book has something for you because it deals with every area of life and all of the ages of life. I love what Warren Wiersbe wrote, and I jotted it down. And he said, we're living in the information age. That's quote, unquote. We're living in the information age, but we certainly aren't living in the age of wisdom. Many people who are wizards with their computers seem to be amateurs when it comes to making a success out of their lives. Computers can store data and obey signals, but they can't give us the ability to use that knowledge wisely. Uh, What's needed today is wisdom. The book of Proverbs is about godly wisdom. How to get it? How to use it. It's about priorities and principles, not get-rich-quick schemes or success formulas. It tells you not how to make a living, but how to be skillful in the art of making a living. Just as I got up from my desk uh, not long ago to, to come here, I just quickly jotted down, trying to sum up my thoughts, some 
things pertaining to our study of this book. And here's four things that came to my mind that will help you in this study. It will develop mental alertness, for one thing. It will, it will give you moral insight, for another thing. It will enable you to become skillful in the art of living, as Wiersbe said. And number four, it will enable you to grow spiritually. As we close, I want to challenge you, and I've done this, I I can't tell you how many times before, so it's nothing new. I want to challenge you to read a proverb every day, a chapter out of the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters, and use it as your calendar. If it's the 19th day of the month, that morning or that evening, sometime during that day, read the 19th chapter of Proverbs. Now, naturally, when you get to the end of the month and the some months are shorter than 31 days, guess what? Oh, you might have to read an extra chapter or two. Wouldn't that be awful? No, but for years and years, I've uh, that's, that's what I've tried to do and encourage others to do is just... Every day, whatever the day of the month is, take time to read that and think about what it says. And you pray for me, and we'll pray one for another as we start this journey. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some different subjects uh, throughout the book of Proverbs.